If you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. Well, Ed, here we are out at the secret compound. Perhaps, well, we won't be the last time we're out at the secret compound this year, but it may be the last time we record out here. It, it, I has to be because I had to go back to the car and get my jacket. Well, we're yeah, I know, the, but you are... <laughs> you're, weak. You're, you're weak, man. I mean, it's like, you know, just it's not, it. that's right. You're just weak. Just weak. <laughs> <laughs> when, the, when the EMP goes off over America and sets us right. all back to the 19th century. Right. You're not going to last. I will yet. not be out the one out hunting and getting. Yeah. <laughs> no, anyway. But it is like, so we got this kind of nice little day almost to Thanksgiving and yeah. it's like 55 degrees out here, but. Ed still needed a jacket, and it's sunny. But here we are, and we're going to record uh, a couple of conversations today, and we're going to start with one about what, charity. Yeah, I my my wife and I love to thrift. What exactly does that mean? Going to thrift stores and looking for great bargains. Okay, and we have some places that we so. To thrift is a verb. It's now a verb, yes. It's an adjective, like thrifty. So if you're super thrifty, you thrift. This is following the trend of turning nouns into verbs. That's right. Like I was conversating and I was partying, (laughs) but don't get me started. Um, And some of these places I like a little better than others. And the ones that I like are the ones that I feel are doing really good things for poor people. If I can buy a butter dish for a dollar fifty and help the poor, then I get a good warm moral superior moral plus superior you have a new, feeling. Plus you have a new butter dish. Plus I have a new butter dish. Um, is that a th- okay? I guess it's a thing. It is. Uh, well, yeah, we could go into it. A butter bell is what we bought. Anyway, now we have two of them. the The, the idea of doing good things for the poor, right? I I don't think anybody thinks ill of that, right? Everybody, everybody no, wants I don't to think anybody. For the poor. I hope nobody thinks ill of that, right? I don't want to know the person who, like, I don't think I'd like the person who right, thinks right. of helping. But when I was a kid, as I grew up through the Protestant church, there was always talk of helping the poor. There was people going on mission trips and all these things, right? right. But I see, but there wasn't anything super organized about, as an approach to doing this. Right. And and now I'm more aware because I'm paying attention, right. Catholic services, Catholic things. And now I'm seeing two things that they've they've been at this a very long time and in an organized way. And it occurs to me that because of the Catholic Church's worldwide reach, that it has much more ability to do that, right. uh, much more organizational ability to do all that. And the other thing I think, this, I don't know if it makes me a bad person, but I sort of, sometimes I think I see in the in the Protestant charities, people are making a profit, on this. Mm. You know what I mean? I, I can't I can't point your fingers, I'm not sure. But I've there's something very entrepreneurial about some of these places that makes me feel like is this money really going to the poor? And so it made me th- I was thinking about that in the Catholic charities and you said one time you said to me, man, this is like a year and a half ago or two that the Catholics sort of were the first ones 
mm. like uh, you know, doing this. So right. um, tell me more about about Catholics and charity and organized okay. charity and all that. Yeah. Okay. Good. So let's start with the word charity, what it means mm -hmm. and where the word comes from and how it became part of the church, part of Christianity. And as a little preview for this conversation, I want to talk about two concepts. I want to talk about charity and I want to talk about another one called social justice because mm. they're both a big part of the Catholic church's approach to the poor. Okay. And they're... At the end of the day, they, they both, in some sense, help the poor. Right. But they're very different concepts, and they get confused sometimes. Okay. So let's start with charity. So the word charity comes from a Latin word, caritas. Okay? Okay. Now, caritas was how that some of the first Christian writers in the second century, so this would be in the 100s, yep. right? Jesus and the apostles are in the like what, first century, like zeros, right. 33, 50, 60, 80. And then the first, in the 100s, first century after that, the early church fathers, Latin writers, began to search for a word in Latin to translate a Greek word. And the Greek word in the New Testament was agape. Okay. So now a lot of evangelicals have heard this because C.S. Lewis wrote this really famous book called The Four Loves. Yes, I've read that. Right? Where he says, like, in the Greek New Testament, there's four different words that we translate into English as love, right? Yep. So he talks about, like, eros, which is, like, romantic, sexual love. That's a, a kind of love. Right. You have, you have the kind of love that occurs, it's sort of attachment between parents and children, which is mm -hmm. a different kind of love, right? <clears throat> Philia, you have stoke, you have, and but the, the, what the New Testament has is this word agape, which is the highest form of love. It is the self-sacrificial mm. love okay. uh, of God for us. So, for example, in uh, John 3.16 where it says, for, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that is agape. That's that kind of love, that self-sacrificial, total giving love for the other. Right. Right? Right. And that's all through the New Testament, right? And it's obvious that we're supposed to love each other. We're supposed to have this high form. We're to love each other as Christ loved us, right? As yep. God loved us, as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, right? So we are to love each other. Yep. And that word agape, as I said, the Latin writers were searching for a Latin word to translate that Greek New Testament yep. word. And the word that they used in Latin was caritas, so when you see, and then that in, in English, just how the word evolved yep. to the English word charity. Yeah. Okay. So when you see the word charity, it is the English representation or what it's supposed to be is, is that agape love, that mm -hmm. agape love, that giving Christ-like, God-like love where we love our neighbor, right? Okay. God says, love God and then love your neighbor. Right. Jesus has 10,000 parables about loving right. our neighbor, loving the other. Okay. All right. So if I love my neighbor with a God right. type love, I will what's best and, and good for them. And it has a sacrificial character. So I give. So Jesus in all of his parables, right? Like if, if uh, the poor man asks you for your, you give, give your cloak, give your this, give that, right? I mean, that we give 
to our neighbor. We give of ourselves. We give of our things. And the New Testament is full of this, right? Like John says in his epistles that we are to, you can't say, you can't see a poor man who is hungry and thirsty and say, go be well fed if you don't feed them. Right. Right. And clothe them. Jesus has the parable uh, of the sheep and the goats, right? Where he says people get to heaven and some will say, hey, Lord, Lord, we loved you. We loved you. And he'll say, get away from me. You never you never cared for the poor. You never cared for your brother. You never cared for your sister. You should have had that love. Right. So charity comes out of the New Testament and it is how we practice that agape love. And the New Testament talks an awful lot about the poor, right? Certainly, I practice agape love by being nice to my friends, but there's, you can't deny the New Testament is pretty clear about helping those who are in need. Right. This is the whole point of John. You can't just say to the man who's uh, hungry and cold, hey, be warmed and be, be fed, filled, but yeah. you're not, you don't, you know. Right warm them and feed them. Right. So, and then the the New Testament writers and then the generation after the New Testament writers, the successors of the apostles and on, from the beginning, the church was about how are we going to practice this love, this agape, right. Christ-like love for others, particularly for those who are in need. Okay? Yep. And so the concept of charity came out of that, Right. And the practice of charity and the church from the first generation began to write about how we are to treat the poor. How are we to treat those around us who are hungry? How are we to treat those who are thirsty? How are we to treat those who are in need? From the first generation, the church began to build systems and ministries and things for that. I mean, simple things like Christians gave of themselves. They gave of their what they had to right. care for the needy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then those became formalized in a lot of ways. So the early church had distributions of food and money to the poor. The early church cared for widows and orphans. The early church brought in... I remember hearing this story many times about when you go to the city of Ephesus, where Paul wrote the Ephesians to, and you go there to this day, I remember a story going there where they'd say, guys like, well, here's the spot outside the city wall where the pagans would go and leave deformed children. Mm. So like if you have a kid who's born with a deformity, they would just expose it. You just take it outside the city wall and set it out there and it lasts a night or something and freezes and dies. But that the Christians were going out at night after people would leave the children and bringing them in to their homes and raising those poor children. Mm -hmm. So from the first days of the church, from Pentecost forward, this impetus to practice agopic love, charity, to the poor was was seen as, in a sense, it, it is the deeds that prove that you have Christ in you, right? Okay, This sure. is James. You have faith, show me your deeds. How are you doing this? Again, in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus tells the story of the sheep and the goats, when you come yep. back and there's going to be a judgment, he's going to say, those of you who cared for the poor, who cared for the sick, who cared for the needy, who cared for this, you had my love in you, and therefore enter into eternal reward. Right. So... And over the centuries, the church formalized these things, right? So the first hospitals, hospices and hospitals were were created by the Catholic Church, mm. right? In the late 
uh, classical period, early Middle Ages, you said, well, we need to have places for sick people to go and get some care when they're dying. You didn't necessarily have great medical systems right. to heal people, but those evolved into hospitals. They were places right. okay. that the sick could go. You had distributions of the church to the poor. All of the early church writings are full of this. The bishop, the church's systems of feeding the hungry and poor in the city, distributions of clothing. If, if you go back to the monasteries in the Middle Ages, a lot of them had these formalized things that they were on certain days of the week or certain feast days of the year that the poor could come to the monastery and receive meals or receive distributions of clothing or whatever the case yep. may be. And then, of course, over time, that developed to our modern systems of charity where we have formal ministries to care for the poor. Right. But where this comes from is out of our <clears throat> responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I even hate to use that word because if you say I have a responsibility to help the poor, that's true, but one would hope that your motivation right. is not just out of a sense of obligation, right. but out of a sense of, and this is the issue, that if, if, if you have the Holy Spirit, if Christ is in you, right. if you, you are, then you're going to act like Christ and okay. you're going to have his love in right. you, which you're going to practice. And one of the ways that you do that is this. So that's the concept of charity. Okay. Okay. Does that all make sense? Yep. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. But let's come back to this idea of charity and then this other idea of social justice. Now, this is a word you're going to hear, a term you're going to hear talked about a lot in the Catholic Church. And you also hear it in the Protestant churches mm-hmm. and in society, but it's a big, big idea in the Catholic Church. And it also, in many instances, has to do with the poor and the needs of the poor, but it comes from a different place, okay? Okay. So, with charity or caritas, it is agopic love, the thing that moves me to do something Mm -hmm. out of love for somebody. And in many cases, it's not something they deserve. Right. It's something that I want to give. Right. Isn't that they deserve it, but I want to give it. Right. But now let's contrast that with this idea of social justice. So l- let's put it this way. Let's suppose I hire you mm-hmm. and you're going to do some work for me and payday comes and I give you your paycheck, your wages. Right. Was that charity? No. No. Why not? Because I earned it. You earned it. It's not charity <laughs> that I pay you the wages that you've earned. Right. I didn't. That I can say, oh my goodness, look at what a wonderful Christ-like person I is. I paid at his wages. Right. Well, that's ridiculous, right? Or let's suppose that I have some tenants who live in a, a house that I rent out or right. whatever. And there's a family living there, mom, dad, little kids, and they're all living in the house and they're paying their rent on time and everything else. And I go, I'm not going to evict the family at Christmas. <laughs> and you go, right. look at me, look at what a yeah. nice guy I am. And you right. go, wait a minute, that's, that's not charity. That's right. right. Because, because they paid their rent. They have right. every right to be there. Right? Right. right. And, 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 and so it's not, it's not charity if you just do the right thing. Right. 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 That is justice. Okay. So if I pay the workman his wages that he has earned, it's justice. If I take the rent check from the family and then I don't evict them, it's only just that I don't evict right, them. Right, right. Make sense? Yes. Yep. Okay. So this is this notion of w- what is 
just in a society. And in those instances, paying wages or delivering on what somebody who paid you for services like living in your house, that's not a mark of your agopic love. That's just simply doing the right thing. Right. So there is this idea of justice. So we can talk about justice like punitive justice. So that's like Ed runs the red light and so Ed gets a ticket. That's criminal justice or punitive justice, right? right? There's different kinds of justice. But this idea of social justice is the idea that within society, people are fulfilling their obligations and responsibilities to each other, right? right. And in particular, our obligations and responsibilities, in some cases, to to those who deserve uh, their wages or their homes or whatever. And one has to be particularly concerned, and the church has often talked, the Catholic Church often talks about the preferential option for the poor, which is, I think, some cases misunderstood. But look at this. If Ed's a multimillionaire, right? Right. Like Elmer J. Fudd, yeah, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> Elmer J. Fudd, millionaire. A mansion, a mansion and a yacht. mansion and a yacht. So if, if Ed is Elmer J. Fudd with a millionaire mansion and a yacht, I'm not going to worry too much about Ed not having a place to sleep tonight and right. this and that. Now, certainly, if... If Elmer J. Fudd, millionaire with his mansion and a yacht, has some legal dispute, he takes it to court or something as lawyers. But, you know, the people that you have to worry about in society are not the millionaires. Right. Right. Um, Not the wealthy and the powerful. They're able to take care of themselves. Who's vulnerable? Poor people. Yeah, Yeah, poor people. People who are on the margins of surviving in society, they're vulnerable. They're vulnerable to the guy who doesn't pay their wages. Right. They're vulnerable to the landlord who evicts them. They're vulnerable to the corrupt policeman. They're right. vulnerable to the, unju- the the unjust government action that you know hurts them. They're, un- they're right that vulnerability, and and so. Going back to the Old Testament, which always talked about the poor. So you can go back to the Pentateuch, the first five books of right. the Old Testament, and you go into the books of Moses, and there's all these rules, like the rules for the poor. Like, for example, the gleaning thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So you'd say, well, when books of Moses say, Old Testament says, when you go to harvest your grain, right, right you leave the like a row of the corn around right. the edges, because the poor can come in the evening yeah. And sort of glean and off. And whatever falls as you do it, leave it there on the ground. So leave it on the ground it. so that, right, whatever falls as you're harvesting, leave it that, that fall that falls. Yeah. So the poor have a chance to come out. And it can talk about all these different ways that the poor, because they're vulnerable, that society needs to pay attention to justice for them. Like, I'm not saying that if Elmer J. Fudd, millionaire, with his mansion and his yacht, had some kind of legal dispute about his yacht, like the guy who was fixing his yacht, right. fixed it wrong, and had a hole in the yacht, and it right. sunk, right. that Elmer J. Fudd, millionaire, doesn't hire his attorneys, and they go after the yacht repair guy. Right. Right. But I'm not going to lose a lot of sleep. I mean, he certainly has his days in court, but I'm not going to lose right. a lot of sleep about his vulnerability. Right. But I am going to worry about that single mom has two or three kids and can't afford to pay her rent and her utilities and she has a broken car and she's living right on the edges and the margins and she is again vulnerable to basically getting screwed right 
Um, hey, you know what I mean. <laughs> Sorry, right. but yeah, right. 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 Uh, a little colloquialism here on the considering calls right. some podcasts, but right, she's vulnerable to getting yeah. screwed by all kinds of circumstances that right. go wrong. She's vulnerable to the boss who doesn't pay fairly pay her wages. Right. She's vulnerable to the landlord. She's vulnerable to the corrupt right. police. She's vulnerable to the government program that mismanages things or, right? She's vulnerable for social security check doesn't come through when she gets right. older, right? Right. right. So from the beginning, going back to the Old Testament, there was always this notion that there was a social justice, that society, a justice that applied and had to be regulated in society, particularly to protect the vulnerable. And that is carried by the Catholic Church into, after Jesus, into the New Testament era, into the early life of the early church, where there's this real concern and a lot of thinking and a lot of writing based on biblical principles and everything else about what are, in a sense, the rules or the principles of social justice. Okay, sure. Yep. And so, as I say at the beginning of the podcast, 20 centuries, 24 time zones, two hemispheres, every race, nation, and language, when you have all of that, that that bigness of Catholicism, all of those all those hem- all those hemispheres and time right. zones and centuries and all those people and all those cultures all faithfully trying to write about how social justice ought to apply right. in their particular circumstance you end up with this massive volume 2000 years of writing sure. of 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 principles of social justice <laughs> and also the catholic church is another different with with protestantism Right, at least certain aspects of Protestantism from the beginning concern themselves with my soul. Right, so I am saved by faith alone, says Luther. Right, right, right. and it is not works; it's not what I do that saves me. And so, what you end up with in some parts of Protestantism is this kind of Pietism that says that what matters is my own soul, my own faith, my own relationship right. with Jesus. And in that, Protestants have talked about charity because they go, I get it that I'm supposed to have the love of Jesus in me and be loving right. to people. But a lot of Protestantism hasn't, Protestantism hasn't reflected on social justice because it doesn't have this vision of the church and society. Sure. Yeah, that Catholicism does this this large vision of how Catholicism impacts not just my relationship with God, but my relationship with others, the church's relationship with the world, what the church calls society to be and do, and right. that the church is supposed to be the God's agent in the world to bring right. about justice. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So when you go back and look at all of these writings and they concern things like wages and the poor and, you know, this and that, and they concern things like just war. Okay. Right? Like when does the government, when can the government legitimately and illegitimately use force? Because that's an issue of justice. Uh, It concerns things like migration. Do people have a right to migrate between countries? And if so, what are the rights of migrants and what aren't the rights of migrants? Where where are the boundaries between the rights of people under social justice and the rights of others? Mm -hmm. And all of this gets very complicated, not because the biblical principles are subjective, 
But when you look at Catholic teaching or Catholic writings or Catholic doctrines on social justice, it's that they have been applied over 20 centuries and 24 time zones to two hemispheres in every race, language, and nation. And the circumstances of how you apply social justice in that vastness of human history and diversity of human history, there's an awful lot of variability to that. Right. Like, I often get asked uh, this thing about, like, capitalism, right? And so you'll have American evangelicals and some conservative Catholics will say, well, Christianity or Catholicism works best under capitalism or whatever. And then you have others who go, no, capitalism is super terrible and we should get rid of it. And right. But these arguments about models of economic systems, one of the things I like to point out is when Catholicism in some sense had its, its golden age of, 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 of the high middle ages, right. Right. That, that wasn't under capitalism. That was under feudalism. Yeah. And there were complex, there was a complex model of society, but yeah. under, under feudalism, right? So people have these notions that the serfs were like these, the peasants were like slaves on the land, but they weren't. They had rights. In the Middle Ages under Catholic justice, the age of the church, yep. where it influenced the state yep. and, and feudalism, the people on your land had rights, and the lo- the the lord or the landowner had rights, and the church mediated okay. their rights. Okay. They weren't slaves. They weren't chattel slaves. You can go to, for example, the concept of human rights. So the very word human rights or the very concept was developed by the Catholic Church not long after the Spanish came to America and began to essentially enslave a lot of the Native American populations in uh, the Caribbean, yeah, first islands, yeah. and there were several Spanish uh, Jesuits and and Catholic writers who went back to the Pope and said these people should have hu- have rights as human beings, even though they don't live in a Catholic society, they're not part of Spain or France right. or whatever. That those rights are are universal. Interesting. As human beings, and they developed this concept of human rights in the first time that that's articulated. And so anyway, down through the ages, you see that caring for the poor involves two things. One is ensuring that the poor receive justice. Okay, yep. And ensuring that we have justice in society for the poor and the vulnerable. And that's different than charity in the same way, as I said earlier, me paying your wages is not agopic charitable love. It's just justice. You did the work. You deserve to be paid. And so there are certain things that people deserve in society under, under social justice or biblical social justice or Catholic social justice. People should not, families should not be evicted into the winter Right. Uh, right. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. People should get their wages. Somebody who paid into the pension system over their lifetime. Right. And when they get older, they deserve their pension. Yeah. Migrants. This is a, a hot thing for us right now in society, sure. right? Which is, well, what do we say about migrants and immigration? And the Catholic Church has always said, well, migration is in some sense a human right because people have been migrating since the dawn of time. Abram migrated from the land of Ur to the land of Canaan, right? People have migrated 
because the earth is the Lord's and that existed before nation states. And so there is a sort of natural right of human beings to sort of migrate, but the Catholic Church says that is counterbalanced by the rights of nations or governments to have order. Right. Right? right. So you can't just... <clears throat> Right, no nation should have to destroy itself or give up its civil order or give right. up its yeah, whatever. Exactly, and so it has. You have to balance the rights of the migrants versus the rights or what's just for the nation to preserve its order and resources right. and law. And like, I don't know if you're paying attention to the news right now, but this is a pretty sticky yeah. wicket, and oh, yeah. and applying that is hard, and you have right. people on all sides of it. But what I wanted to say is these two things come from different places. The notion of charity, the good that I wish for another, and the good that I do, that I am not obligated to do. Right. But I do out of love. Right. Versus the things that I do because I am obligated because they're only just. Right. And the Catholic Church, I think, has a 2,000-year-old, very sophisticated system of understanding yeah. those two ways that we that we interact, especially with the poor and vulnerable. Yep. The things that they deserve, because they're human beings and they have rights and, and justice, and the things that I do out of love. One of the things that gives the Catholic Church teeth with this is that their clergy take vows of poverty. Right. And that's... Well, hold on a second. I just want to clarify something about that. Right. All right. So a lot of non-Catholics assume that all Catholic priests take vows of poverty. Hmm. That's I not... That, they, that's not true. Okay. So uh, just as an aside here, you know you have a main point, but let me just right. clarify this. So you have two kinds of priests. You have what are called diocesan priests. That's... Your priest at your parish who yep. works under a bishop in a diocese. Yep. And he takes vows of obedience and chastity. Okay. Okay. But he doesn't necessarily take a view of uh, a vow of poverty. Okay. Okay. So if you go over to your Catholic parish, your priest there, he gets a salary. Right. It's not a big salary. Right. He's not highly paid. Right. But he gets a, he gets a paycheck. And a lot of times he has, he's given a place to live, but for, for that matter, so do people in the military. Sure. When I was a Protestant pastor, I we got to live in the, the parsonage, the parsonage and yep. it, Catholic Church is called a rectory. It becomes part of your salary, so it's kind of factored right. in. You get housing plus allowance and whatever. But the priest is able to, your diocesan priest is able to buy a car. Right. He's able to put money away for his retirement. Sure. He's able to okay. take a vacation. If he wants to go buy a dog, he can buy a dog, Right. right. Now, that's distinguished from what are called religious. So religious would be like monks and friars okay. and nuns. You might think of them religious sisters. That, that's a whole different system in the Catholic Church. And the religious, so this would be, again, a, a monk, a brother, a friar, a nun, a whatever sister. They take vows of, of chastity and obedience, but they also take a vow of poverty. So when you become a religious, you give up all worldly goods. Okay. Right. So anyway, but your point, continue. My, my point is that, that's good though, I needed to know that, is that it's it's a value, it's an important thing, it's it's oh, modeled, right. it's shown, it's it's not something that I was exposed to too much in the Protestant world. No, I mean, I came out of that world with you, and a lot of times the evangelical contemporary world here especially is one where you can do 
financially quite well as a pastor. We both right. n- knew pastors that made extremely good livings and church right. staff people who, no, I'm not saying they didn't work hard, but they made very, very, very good right. livings. Some of them became wealthy. wealthy, right? And that is true. There is a credibility about the Catholic Church that appealed to me because I spent so much time around for a lot of years, mega church, yeah, evangelical mega church guys, who a lot of them were had a pretty a pretty bougie yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. life, and at a certain point, it just kind of kind of turned me off, right? And <clears throat> there is a credibility in the Catholic Church. People talk about, oh, the Catholic Church is super rich because look at these big cathedrals, right? Well, that's real estate, number one. Right. And a lot of times those things are losing propositions because of what it costs to maintain and heat those big right. buildings. Actually, they, they the, the church loses money on those. Right. And they have a lot of expensive paintings and statues. But what are you going to do? Are you going to... Right. You're going to sell Michelangelo's Pietà. Right. What are you going to do? You're going to you're going to sell the Sistine Chapel, right. Michelangelo's frescoes. Right. So the church has this kind of patrimony of art and buildings. Yeah. But I can tell you 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 just, you know, uh they aren't rich. Now you may have a bishop who um you know, makes a better salary than the priests. Right. It's more responsibility, climbs the ladder, but I kind of know a little bit about this and I can tell you that the 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 best paid Catholic bishop in America uh, probably would be a mid-range staff person at a mega church in terms of their salary. Okay. All right. And so do they get a car allowance? Do they get to live in a house? Sure. Whatever. But you're right. I mean, the Catholic church has, I think, really does have credibility of, of giving it away. Let me just say one quick thing for some people who are going to say, well, yeah, but the church used to have all of this lands and everything else. Always remember that in the past, up until relatively recently in history, uh, most economies were agrarian economies, which meant that the that wealth was in acreage. Yeah. Right? Because if you go back to the Middle Ages— you, you didn't have money in a 401k. You didn't have a stock portfolio. What you mm-hmm. had was acreage. Yeah. That, that, that was how, the only way that anything had any value. And, and so a lot of times, I did a video about this a couple of years ago on YouTube, but right? So a lot of these, the churches and the monasteries and this and that, you would set it up and then you would, somebody would donate a thousand acres to the monastery, right. and then the monastery would rent that out to tenant farmers, and then the tenant, the the rents from that would support the monastery, Monks, yeah. the, the building of the monastery, and all the expenses right. or whatever. And and so yeah, you could go. Why does a monastery have a thousand acres? You go well, right. that that's why. So, right. but you're know, like, I, I would just challenge anybody who thinks that the Catholic Church has gotten rich or is rich or has a culture of being rich. I, I can tell you, working in parishes. One of the big frustrating things that I have, I sometimes feel about American Catholic parishes is compared to the evangelical churches that I knew in the past, we just never have any resources. And the staff people, it's hard for them to work there because their their pay scale is so much less than they would make in a, right. in, in a contemporary evangelical church. Yeah. The, one of the criticisms is that the Vatican has 
the the Pope. Oh, sure, he doesn't he doesn't make a lot of money, but he lives like a king. And they've got all this right, this but this stuff. is always the thing, right? Yeah. Okay. So if you've ever gone to Rome and you go to St. Peter's, there's a like a 700 year old building that he lives in, right? <laughs> right? right. And it's a pretty magnificent building, but it's right. it's a 700 year old building with right. with art in it, a thousand year old art, right? And what what, what do you want them to do, like? sell that and make it a mall, right? So, yeah, there is this, it's, it's often called the patrimony. It's like the inheritance yeah. of the buildings and the art and this and that. But, you know, right, that's just part of the inheritance of, of, of the heritage. Right, uh, and it's there for everybody. I mean, it's there for people to see. Yeah. It belongs to the church. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks, Greg. That, uh, that's a good, that's good stuff. Okay. All right. Thanks, Ed. Yep. Mm-hmm.